What's good with everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. I gotta be honest, I forget the the name of this one, if it's 38 or 39, but it's one of those. And I'm joining here today with Hawks fan, Hawks cover, Mikey. Uh, he knows basketball. We have known each other on Twitter for quite some time, and I'm happy to be doing this podcast with you because today we're talking about the Atlanta Hawks. That's right, we're talking about ATL going through the uh, inner workings of the roster, how 2023 went. There's a lot to talk about here, but I want you to quickly introduce yourself to the people. Mikey, you're in the building. Yeah, so as get to step, we've, we've been talking on Twitter for a while now. My name is Mikey Kabrinsky. Um, I cover, I write articles for the Hawks right now. I write articles for Hawks Fan TV on Twitter, if you've heard of, of that Hawks account. And as well, I'm writing for a back sports page covering the Hawks this year. And I was actually able to go to media day this year um, to ask questions to the, to the players, the GM and the coach uh, for back sports page. So that opportunity was awesome and looking forward to talking some uh, Hawks basketball today. Yes. And I just want to say, I'm so happy for Mikey because this man like sits here and watch basketball. We will be in spaces arguing about rim pressure yeah. and defense capella. So seeing you in that position, I'm very happy to see you in. So that's dope. Make sure to go support him. All of his links will be in the comments and description below so tap in for that if you're new to this channel or this podcast tap in like comment subscribe on youtube we also have this uh, rolling out on spotify and apple Podcasts. so tap into the audio version but let's get all that out the way i'm happy to be talking about hawks basketball because there's a lot of questions and concerns that i have to voice to you as an outsider i'm gonna bow down to your knowledge of hawks basketball but i want to first start this off with what i think is the most important thing to discuss when it comes down to the Hawks obviously you guys made a big trade for for DeJounte Murray and I'm gonna be honest for me personally I did not agree with the trade from this perspective I thought that for the Hawks they were trying to figure things out obviously you're bringing him in to try to compete which makes sense but I feel like the unprotecteds that you guys traded for DeJounte I just don't think he's that caliber of a player uh by the numbers last year the Hawks offense with DeJounte off, I think, was slightly better with Trey Young. And I think that Trey Young had a down season. But I still think fundamentally, DeJounte can be a piece that works because you saw this team like really buy into having both of these ball handlers. I just feel like it wasn't given a fair shot with the coach utilizing the pieces, which trust me, we'll get to that coach later on into this podcast but you as a Hawks fan what was your reaction when you found out that your team traded for DeJounte Murray so, so for me obviously you know it's been a, it's been a long time since the Hawks at, at least in in my my watching of them uh, throughout my life had made made a trade for for a guy that was just an all-star the year before right I mean, it was it was a big deal, definitely getting the type of player DeJounte had the reputation of, especially in San Antonio, being that uh, lockdown defender, nationally renowned defender that that he got a lot of attention for. And so from my first reaction was I'm, that that's insane. Getting getting another ball handler next to Trey is huge because uh, re referencing that uh, that Miami series last year, I'm sure we're going to get into that more in 20 in 2022. Um, I think the front office figured out that. You know when tr when people are able to close the floor and get Trey out of the middle, and he he had to force the ball to give to maybe Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, who's yep. not here anymore. Um, we didn't really have that second guy to make that quick decision, and the defense was able to get set. 
So I think that the upfront office made a quick move, and I was really in favor of that move at first. But as as we saw at the beginning of the season, the Hawks really struggled on offense. There was a lot uh, last year. There was a lot of a lot of figuring out to do with Trey and Dejounte, and with the coach, like you said, we'll we'll talk later. It really probably wasn't the greatest match to start the season, as the Hawks really struggled out of the gate offensively. Yeah, it was such a mind-boggling season for Atlanta, and I feel like there's so much to break down with it. Uh, for me, the most shocking thing to start the season to me was Trey. Um, I want to give my opinion on Trey Young before we get into this conversation about how he played. Trey Young is a player that to me is either massively overrated or massively underrated. There is no fair analysis of Trey Young from what I've seen. People went from saying he's better than Steph Curry to Jalen Brunson is better than him. And it's like, okay, can we just like calm down and just give Trey his props in terms of how good he is? In my opinion, Trey Young is one of the best playmakers in the NBA. His passing at his size is very, very good. And to your yeah. point, the point of the DeJounte trade is to give him another guy that is talented enough to where when Trey is playing four on three basketball, he can catch the ball and make a quick read or attack a closeout. He didn't have many guys on the roster doing that. And Miami, because of that, was able to really key in on him defensively. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, that makes sense. But the way Trey started out the year, it was bad. Um, I think at one point he was shooting like, like a 43% true shooting for like a month stretch. And it didn't really make much sense because a lot of his looks were actually more open than ever before. He just wasn't knocking it down. And I'm not the type of person to use a one-season sample size to say this, this is who Trey Young is. Because we know Trey Young can be a much better shooter than that. Although, for his career so far to start, he hasn't been the level of shooter that you would think he would be after college. He's still one of the best shooters in the NBA. Yep. What were your thoughts on how Trey began the season? Uh... I, I agree with what you said about a lot of the looks he got. They're normally looks, uh, for example, in the 2021 season, I was confident w w every time he shot the ball from three. I mean, he, yeah. was, he was knocking down most of his threes, it seemed like, every night. But uh, in the beginning of the season, I mean, the floater wasn't falling, and Trey uh, Trey Young, uh, that's that's his shot. I mean, if, if, you, if you're not looking for Trey to shoot 30-foot threes, you're, the next shot is, okay, he's going in and Easy shooting the floater. floater. One of the best mm -hmm. in the NBA. So even that wasn't going down. So it was really weird to start the season. And if you combo that with John Collins shooting struggles for the majority of the year, he did pick it up in the second half um, after the All-Star break. But combo that with Collins shooting struggles, um, Capella not really shooting a lot of threes. DeJounte actually was great from sh from shooting from three when he got here. And it's including this year uh, to the preseason so far. But and with Dre not shooting a lot of high volume threes, this offense became very mid-range heavy. And when and when you have that in today's NBA, it doesn't really mesh with the with the type of offense that Trey wants to run because and especially with John Collins and Capella on the roster, you want to be you want to go be up, up and down the court. That's two athletic bigs that love to run the floor. And McMillan didn't really want to do that. You know, he wanted to get in the pick and roll, find some mismatches settle in for that 16 7 foot mid-range shot and that's why you see if you look at the stats deandre hunter last year he was a top five mid-range shooter in the league yeah. it was he had a great year in terms of his strength but i'm not sure how much that that related to winning basketball as an offense as a whole so trey it was it was just kind of unexplainable for me for for the shots that trey was missing as a whole 
Yeah, it was crazy because DeJounte was playing out of his mind to start the year. Like, yes. I remember many Hawks fans at the time saying that he was outplaying Trey. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't watch as many Hawks games at the beginning. So, that, so that I said, okay, that's weird. So I went back and watched it. And it's like, I'm seeing DeJounte shoot the three at a competent level, but, but more importantly, getting to his mid-range and knocking it down at a pretty efficient clip. But the speed and burst was the biggest thing. I mean, he showed the athleticism, especially in terms of attacking closeouts pretty well. And he was playing productive basketball. I'm pretty sure he had some nights where he was putting up near triple doubles for the Hawks to oh, start yeah, the early season off. Season, for sure. yeah. yeah. The only problem that I had with the offense as it, you know, dragged on under Nate is it felt like it was more trey young and Dejounte taking turns and i'll give trey credit right yeah. because to start the year especially in preseason i watched those games trey was trying to make it work he was moving off the ball he was trying to do x y or z x y or z but it felt like the emphasis for that offensively wasn't really there there were a, a, a ton of positions where if trey had the ball you would have Dejounte in like the right or left corner and the same would be flipped if DeJounte had the ball, it didn't feel like there were many actions involved in them. And Trey, like, it still bothers me to this day. Knowing his shooting ability, the fact that he is not utilized enough off the ball bothers me because he's one of the fastest guards in the league already. And he can easily trail a pin down screen to a quick floater, to a lob. Like, he's one of the best guards in terms of when he gets that paint touch, that quick lob throw or that quick floater, you don't know what's coming. He's that unpredictable when he gets deeper in that. So using him with God, like, I think Capella as an off-ball screener or, or even, you know, some of your bigger bodies would make a lot of sense. And I just don't think we saw enough offensive creativity from this team in the first half. Yeah. I mean, for the first for the first two months of the season, uh, I believe we were bottom 10 in offensive, offensive rating. And with a team that has Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, you you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that at all, and I I love what you said about you know it, not necessarily Trey coming off screens shooting like he's Steph he doesn't have to shoot these catch and shoot threes to no. be effective off low like you said even coming off trail screens pin down screens and curl screens you're seeing him do that a lot even in preseason I think that's really the 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 influence of Quinn Snyder's offense on this team which I gotta say to, to it's preseason. But I'm loving watching this offense. It's it's night and day from last year to this year. And, like, this takes us to Nate McMillan, which I'll give him credit from this perspective, right? When you guys got rid of your last coach and you guys took on Nate midseason and you made that run to get to the conference finals, I feel like Nate was instrumental in terms of, like, giving them a newer voice. But to he be was. honest, I felt like Nate just dragged on as a steel coach. The Miami series had a lot of head scratchers. It didn't feel like Trey felt the confidence from Nate as much. There was a report about like the last game where, where like Trey wasn't really involved with like the huddle or whatever. It felt like Nate's voice just dragged on and his rotations were at best questionable. He was more like a a, a stable type of coach, but not trying to be creative offensively. Quinn Snyder is the opposite of that. And I'm here to say, as someone that watched a lot of Utah Jazz basketball, he was a offensive savant in terms of understanding spacing principles and getting yep. guys to, to, you know, fit on the court exactly where they were. So I said coming in, once they, you know, get rid of Nate 
and they take on Quinn Snyder. I said it was going to take time because you can't expect him to be able to fully implement his system when he doesn't have all the guys on, on his coaching staff yet and only has half of the NBA season to work his principles in. But now that there's been a full off season to work both Trey and DeJounte, at least in preseason right now, they're killing. Like they're playing really good basketball. Yeah. And I, I love how you said it. You, he wasn't really able to implement the system. And that's something he actually confirmed at Media Day. Um, he said a week ago that, you know, obviously I was here for those last 20 ga 21 games. He said, from an analytical standpoint and an evaluation standpoint, those 21 games were valuable in the, in the regular season. But he wasn't able to implement any of his system. He said they weren't doing anything like Quinn Ball related. So now when when you have when he gets a staff like you said we're already seeing we're already seeing so much different things and i, I want to preface this by saying nate mcmillan if you look at objectively if you look at his stats you know all-time wins and everything he stats will say he's a good coach right he, he he's got a lot of he's got a lot of wins unfortunately he hasn't had a lot of playoff success but the main thing is is you can't look at nate mcmillan at just as a whole and say okay he's a good coach why did he do well on this team you got to look at his tendencies and stuff and really as a defensive coach with not a lot of defensive guys in the roster and guys that wanted to shoot threes but didn't have a lot of shooters on the roster mcmillan doesn't really mesh with with that with those offensive goals and and he's not very uh, creative offensively hiding what kind of pick and roll actions you want to do not very great at doing some off ball stuff so with that, those combinations, I think ultimately led to led to McMillan's firing. Yeah, and there's another player I want to bring up, who I'll just be honest about flat out. John Collins was one of the most disappointing players I watched last year. Um, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure he shot like 28 to 30 percent on wide open threes. Yeah, and like his defense left a lot to be desired. It is tough because. Collins had many strong moments as a Hawk. I'll never forget John the Baptist when he baptized Joel Embiid in the playoffs. I remember this stuff. But it's yeah. like, it was such a disappointing season for him. And again, the spacing element of what you're saying matters because if Trey is playing with Capella, Collins, and DeJounte at the same time, it's like, who is the defense really respecting from three of those guys I just mentioned, especially if John is not really spacing the floor? Also, I feel bad for John Connor because while he was a great athletic player who fit Trey well, I feel like the writing was on the wall for him to be traded because his name has been in trade talks for, for like many years now. Three so years the fact now. that, yeah. And now it was weird because Utah just said, okay, we'll take him and we'll give you a pick. And it was like this random trade that happened one for one really under the radar. But I think for the Hawks, it's giving you a breath of fresh air. And same for John Collins, right? Like now he's in a completely different situation. So maybe he'll be a bit more productive. But now you're coming into a team that, you know, has a new head coach, a new training staff, and you're basically just working through things from the ground up. What do you think is going to be the biggest difference between last year and this year? Um, I think with Collins gone, honestly, the biggest difference is versatility in the front court. Um, Collins, Hunter, and Capella all all struggle pretty much having the ball in their hands, kind of getting by people or or uh, or attacking a closeout. And when when you've got guys now, what Jalen Johnson is doing in this preseason is special. I 
there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about Hawks fans last year about saying, okay, you know, Jalen's gonna be this guy. He's he's gonna be he, like people are calling him LeBron Light. I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. But this this dude has a, he's a, such a beast when it comes to scoring in the open court. It's nobody stopping him on a fast break, and his playmaking is exceptional from the forward position. But what I needed to see from Johnson was if he could translate that to the half court. And this preseason, he's doing that starting at the four. And him and Akangwu at the five. And Akangwu's, by the way, three from six from three in the preseason. He's letting it fly. And he's only played two games. So when when you've got those guys, that versatility, the switchability, both those guys can, can switch onto guards. And when you have the versatility, that's the main thing that's going to help this offense and honestly defense with that switchability, like I mentioned, um, be better this year. I want and I'm, one thing I wanted to add is Collins actually had the best year of his career defensively by far. He was a, a great help side defender. You know, the one on one one on one defending last year was not the greatest. But as far as help side defense, he turned around an area that he drastically needed to improve into one of the league's best last year in help side defense. And that's what I want to say about Collins, because a lot of people will say he didn't improve anything since his rookie year. And obviously that three point shot, he didn't shoot his rookie year. But I don't think I think Collins, similar to how you said with Trey Young in Atlanta, he was either underappreciated or just completely like say he he's 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 overappreciated. I don't think there were yeah. there were fans that really a lot of fans that knew how to f completely evaluate Collins. Yeah, he was a very confusing player for me. And like as someone that didn't watch a high amount of Hawks games beyond maybe 25, I feel like I would see nights where okay, he provided some good help side. I was good. And then I would see some nights where okay, he's gassed behind the play he doesn't like make the proper rotation or he's getting killed in the pick and roll like i would see some moments like that with him but all in all it was a very turbulent up and down season for him and honestly for the hawks i mean this is a team that had a lot of stats where they were just middle of the pack in and it was weird because it's like 41 and 41 i think the offense was dead middle i think the defense was dead middle i well i'm sorry yeah, go ahead no, no, no. Okay. No, sure. Well, what I was going to say was if you dive a little bit into that 41 and 41, there's yeah. even weirder stats. So, okay. well, the Hawks now hold the record for most days at, under, or above one game of 500 in NBA history, the most consecutive days spent. <laughs> yeah, um, that was weird. Even if you dive deeper into that, um, the Hawks, we, we, we touched on this. The Hawks offense struggled early. We were definitely bottom 15, possibly bottom 10 in off and for offensive rating. So, yeah, and we knew there might be some struggles with Trey and DeJounte learning and, you know, Nate McMillan not being the best offensive coach. But as the season got on, you know, we slowly got the offense better. In December slash January, we went on a five, six game winning streak. And we're like, okay, you know, this team may, may start to be looking something. And then we get to January and the defense just falls off the table. So we, we started the year, but the offense goes, we ended, we ended the year top five in offense. And after the All-Star break, we were second in offensive rating behind the Kings. And I think a lot of some of that is, you know, just Trey shooting better. Um, but some of that is maybe Quinn's voice. I mean, he wasn't able to implement his system. But we went from a, a top 10 defense to start the year. We started off 7-3. and three. So that, that great to first 10 games. We went from a top 10 defense and a bottom 10 offense to start the year to, you know, both middle of the pack. And then after the All-Star break, bottom 10 defense, we finished 22nd. 
to a top three offense after the All-Star break. So like, it was just a roller coaster of a year. And we, we'll look at it, and we ended up being exactly 41 and 41. Yeah, and I think this is a good time to transition to another conversation before we get to the playoffs, obviously. Um, for me, I've been saying this for years, Okongu can be a special player. I feel like the rim protection and, again, the switchability, like, I think the idea, right, if you're building a team around Trey Young, which, he, personally, I don't know if he can be a number one option on a title team, but if you are to do it, the passing is there to elevate guys, but you want to have as many switchable defenders that can space the floor around Trey. And I feel like Okongwu, long-term, once he, like, grows into, like, his, his man frame more, should be the ideal five. I was saying it two years ago. Capella fundamentally is a better rebounder and I think like an interior defender yeah. than Okongu. But Okongu is like the future of where the NBA is going where like your five man can do everything. I can I can rebound, play paint, come out, you know, like guard guards. That That is what I've seen from Okongu ever since his time. I think even in the Chino Hills days, if I'm getting that correctly, like with him... I see that there. And I think that this year might finally be the year where he's making that transition to where maybe you bring Capella off the bench for certain matchups because versatility is the key in the NBA. Obviously, we just saw Denver. They ran Jokic, Aaron Gordon, MPJ. Like the versatility of the different styles your four slash five men can play matters significantly. And I think Okongu fits directly in that direction as compared to capella who even though he's a great roller for trey yes. isn't that versatile as okago can be what are your thoughts on that yeah i i agree with most of that honestly and capella versus okongu has been basically the talk of hawks twitter all summer uh, it's widely known that capella especially with the dallas mavericks have been linked to you know they're they're, they're looking for they're looking for that type yeah. of center exactly what clint capella is and I want to preface this by saying, Capella, it, we are a better team objectively with Capella and a Kongu on the team. If we get rid of Capella, we lose depth. We'll probably have Bruno Fernando, who has improved since his rookie year with the Hawks, but he's not that backup that you want ideal for for contention, right? Um, for for Kongu. So Capella, Capella's still a good player, but the thing about it is, a Kongu's going into us, going into a free. He's going to be free agent after next season. So you got to find out what you have in him. Are you going to play pay a backup center $20 million as, with an extension? Because that's what I think he's worth. And I, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. So I think the organization this year was saying, okay, we, we have Capella. He has two more years left on his deal. There are a ton of teams that could use him. Let's see what we can get for him. And I don't think they saw the amount of return value they wanted in, in this offseason. Right. Or Capella, and I want to make I want to make this clear though. I don't hate Capella. If any Hawks fans are listening to this, I know the value that Capella can bring to this team. But from an organizational standpoint, the value that he could that we could get back from a Capella trade and not lose that much if a Kongu starts, I think outweighs the benefit of having them both. Which is why which is why I do I do agree with mostly saying a Kongu. He's shooting threes now. Like you said, the switchability, the only thing that he really has to work on two major categories, you know, consistent defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding, he's great. And yeah. then just staying out of foul trouble because that's 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 the main thing. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said, because, again, Capella, I think structurally 
has done this thing where you put the the four man who's gonna develop into a five at some point, but in the meantime, they need like like a real sturdy five to hold him down. And in terms of rebound numbers, I mean, dude, Capella is still one of the best defensive rebounders oh, yeah. in the NBA. Five. Easy yeah. every every year. Yeah. Now the thing is, on certain matchups, when you get into the playoffs, the versatility gets exposed, and you need that to survive and be able to win. And I'll say this, um, for this roster heading into the playoffs, I feel like a lot of people expected Boston to beat them, right? Like many people just said Boston has arguably the best roster in the league. They won all these games. They should beat the Hawks. I think that was the expectation. But the way things unfolded, I mean, you guys forced them six in a game where there was no DeJounte Murray. And Trey was carving up that defense in the final three games of the series. I really want to get your thoughts uh, on that and also the emergence of DeAndre Hunter in that series as well. Yeah, DeAndre Hunter, uh, play a quick, talk, uh, quick note on him. He's had a, he's had a really good playoff experience uh, performances the last two years. In game five against the Heat when in 2022, I mean, or 20, well, it, yeah, 2022, <laughs> you know. Obviously, it wasn't the greatest series as the Hawks for the whole, but he had a great series. DeLon Wright was actually the best player on the floor for the Hawks that year, and DeAndre Hunter was the close second. <laughs> so that kind of says, but in la in this year's playoffs, um, DeAndre Hunter, a lot of teams will force him to shoot to shoot the three ball a lot. Um, they, he, they know they like the mid-range, but if they keep going under screens like the Heat and the Celtics have done in back-to-back -back years, he's shown the confidence and ability to want to take a lot of threes. And we need that from a guy, you know, every team needs that three and D guy, that core, that core one. And Hunter can be that guy. We know he's a great defender on wings, struggles a little bit against guards. And that's why Murray needs to handle that, handle that, uh, especially with guards. But Hunter, he's performed well in the playoffs, but overall... Trey Trace had had some trouble in the first two games, but I think Snyder with some adjustments. Trey just getting that confidence back after some of those demons he was facing from that uh, Miami series. He he was great and pushing them to six games. A lot of people said it wasn't going to be even a series, you know, sweep five yeah. game series. But when Trey hit that when Trey hit that three point shot, that deep three pointer, and I was it was something special. And I'm glad I'm glad we put up a fight. Obviously. It wasn't the season we wanted, ending 41 and 41, being going going up against the Celtics um, in the first round. And honestly, I I wasn't in, in favor of this, but I I'm not sure how many Hawks Bucks games you've watched. But the way we play the Bucks, no, ever it's different. It's different. Yeah, yeah, it's different. We match up so well. Like we have the Akangwu stopper. That Bucks Twitter has called Akangwu the honest stopper. Yeah, right. The honest stopper. So we match up really well against the Bucks, and unfortunately, the Celtics uh, were a terrible matchup for us, and especially Capella. I love how you mentioned the versatility between Akangwu and Capella. Capella was virtually unplayable in that series, just because yeah. when you had Al Horford on the floor, five elite shooters, and Capella doesn't and like to be. You have to play in best. space. It doesn't work compared to Okongu, who can basically be switchable, contesting the paint, also get out faster with the foot speed and the mobility. Like these things are different. And I love what you said mm -hmm. because a lot of people would kill Hawks fans about this, but it's true because the Bucks are a slower type of team. And because of Brooke Lopez, who's going to stay in the paint, you can create advantages with Trey's pull up shooting, which can bend the floor. 
compared to the number of perimeter defenders. Because yes, they have Drew Holiday, sure. But when Drew dies on the screen sometimes, Trey can still eat up multiple advantages. Compared to having to deal with Derek White and Marcus Smart for the entire series. And then have Tatum and Brown as like bigger bodies who can also sometimes also do help side. You know what I'm saying? So I get your point yep. on that for sure. Yeah, that, that drop coverage that the Bucks play really plays into our hands, especially in a Nate McMillan offense. Uh, we don't know how we'll do against the Bucks with Quinn Snyder. Maybe it'll be different, but you know Nate McMillan, very mid-range heavy, likes to exploit matchups. The way Deon the way DeAndre Hunter, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Kongwu shoots the mid-range, I mean, we were just, every single time, mid-range, 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 it was going every time because Brooke Lopez was just dropping and there'd be so much space. Yeah. I want to go back to a name that we talked about briefly, but we didn't like like expand on. Jalen Johnson, man. Um, I remember Jalen Johnson coming over from Duke. I remember like, is he a good teammate? All this other you know stuff. And I thought, okay, with more development for the Hawks, I think Johnson can be like another tweener type that's just this bigger body who can like abuse mismatches here or there, but also shows spacing potential. How do you think he fits in this year for the Hawks? Um, I, I think he fits. He fits at the four, honestly, this year. I think we, I think we need to see Jalen and Akangwu on the floor at the same time. Obviously, Quinn. We Hawks Twitter doesn't know. We we don't know if Quinn's gonna go Sadiq and Capella. In my opinion, that's the that's the the pair at the four and five. If you're yeah. gonna go with them or Jalen and Akangwu. Um, Capella might start just because politics, and in that case, you need to start Bay. But for Jalen, he's going to have a huge role this season. Uh, he's shooting the three ball uh, finally with, with some confidence this preseason. Hopefully, it lasts uh, into the regular season. But the way the way this man is passing the ball in the half court—if you watch some of the passes last night that he threw—he had, he had seven assists in the first half. And and the way he was throwing, multi, he's thrown at least three lobs to Okongwu attacking closeouts and when he's occupying space the way he can play make in positions that you wouldn't normally see a forward uh make is special i mean when you're looking you're looking at like national recognition for jalen johnson there isn't a lot of it but we have guys like you know kenny beats him king of the fourth quarter and it seems like he never talks about the hawks but when he's tweeting jalen johnson's passing is special I mean, there's there's types of things that people are going to realize jalen johnson can do this year that i don't think people that watch the hawks a lot uh, know about and that's just the way he passes and the leap that the hawks fans have been talking about overall this season it's just the three ball if he can knock down one three a game maybe take three shots if he can shoot 33 percent on just taking three shots a game that's from three huge. the leap is here uh jalen jalen uh is where offense is just gonna look even more dangerous and the defense is a better defender perimeter defender than john collins and one-on-one -on -one. but hopefully that help side uh, will kind of develop that's one thing that we are gonna miss that jc provided last year yeah i say this all the time right like shooting 40 percent is ideal right because it's elite shooting but if you're yeah. a big man if you're hovering around 35 percent, that's perfectly fine because it's a good enough percentage to where they're gonna have to respect your spacing and you can knock down the shot. But more importantly, if you surround Trey Young with bigger, more athletic defenders who can also be live threats, but also can space the floor. And beyond that, the most underrated part about all this too, right? Is if you're putting them next to bigs who can pass, 
you you unlock a different type of offense at that point because now it's like Trey can do the high pick and roll, but now he can move off screens. He can run more handoff plays with these bigs because they can pass. They yep. can now be secondary playmakers out of the pick and roll. It just uncaps more offensive potential that you can run. And for me personally, the creativity is what I want to see a lot more of. I want to see Trey and DeJounte get creative with each other as well. I think that can unlock a lot of dynamics to your offense, especially when you're running with those jumbo-sized lineups who can switch basically two through four. Yeah. The the biggest question when we got DeJounte was, you know, can, can he shoot the ball? Honestly, catch and shoot threes. He increased his volume over 100 threes from the year before he uh, went to the Hawks to the year he got here last year. And he was... He's answered that question. Uh, he's he, he's like performed from the three point line better than I think I even expected. I mean, he's he was above thirty five percent, and he shot like you said above forty percent for like the first month and a half of the season from three. So we know Dejounte has that spacing, that versatility between Trey and Dejounte and and Biggs who can pass is huge because Snyder overall in this preseason so far has been running a lot of dribble handoffs. You know. He'll disguise the pick and roll of what we're running really well. And I think that's the biggest difference from McMillan and Snyder. A lot of times, if you play the Hawks opposing teams, they could have said, okay, we know the high pick and roll is coming. You know, they might run a delay action before the pick and roll, but we know it's eventually coming. With Snyder, he hides the type of way we're going to run the pick and roll. Or even we've been running a lot of five out this preseason too. He hides that so well. And I think that's what's going to give Jalen a Kongu. Um, Bay can even do a little bit of playmaking as far as that offensive end. So I think that gives those guys a lot of versatility. And Trey's moving, Trey's moving off ball, not necessarily shooting catch and shoot threes, but coming off these screens, diving into the paint, and it's creating like two or three options to the kick out for three. He can lay it up. He has the floater or the or the dump down around uh, around the big to get, to dump the ball off to the center. So. I think there's there's a lot of options that the Hawks are going to have on offense this year, and I'm excited to watch it. I think the best thing that I've heard you say this this whole podcast is breaking down the difference between what off-ball play really is. Because many people just on paper think, oh, Trey, shooter, just run off-ball and shoot, catch and shoot threes. Pl- playing off-ball is bigger than that. And as a Warriors fan, obviously, like I can break down, yeah. you know, Steph. Obviously, Steph is a threat to shoot the ball off the ball, which is why teams guard him that way. But oftentimes when he catches the ball, what he does off off the burst, attacking closeouts and creating secondary chances beyond just the shooting is what makes the offense so dangerous. And with Trey, Trey can do that as well, but he's a better passer in terms of lobs and, and like his creativity with that. So now if he's curling off the screen and going downhill he can quickly dot the corner he can quickly dot back the hash if the corner man rotates up after he cuts from the hash right like these are things that trey can do at a high level and i think this is the part of the conversation where we can just have this conversation people gotta relax okay i'm seeing people say jalen brunson is better than trey young i'm seeing people say sorry say that confidently yeah, right. Like, 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 I feel like Trey has been dealt such a bad hand because of how he underperformed last year in terms of his efficiency as a shooter. But are we forgetting that a season before this, Trey was one of the most efficient volume scorers in the NBA, right? Like, Trey, I think, is primed to have a bounce back season. And I think with a coach that's maximizing the offense around him, 
Trey can look a lot better. Now, defensively, I don't I don't think there's going to be much of a dramatic change outside of him buying in a bit more yeah. than him. There's only so much he can do at that size, but that's why for me, if Trey is doubling down in his offensive fortitude, we're talking about a team that could potentially be a top 10 offense, if not higher, if everything maps out well for that team. Specifically for Trey, though, what do you think you're going to see? And what are you expecting to see from him to write these conversations? Uh, I think from from Trey, we're gonna see we're gonna see less. We, we might even see less shots from Trey, less time with his hands with the ball in his hands. Because with McMillan, it was a lot of you know Trey, your turn, Dejounte, your turn to run the pick and roll. Let's 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 switch it up. But it really teams new uh, overall. The pick and roll is coming. So with. With Trey, you're seeing you're seeing Jalen Johnson bring up the ball a lot. Um, Dejount, obviously, Dejounte can do it as well. But we're seeing one to two, maybe three passes, um, and Bogdanovich maybe probably our, our best, most consistent shooter running around screens. He'll get the ball, and then as he comes around the screen, the big will set the pick and roll pick for Trey when Trey's off ball, and Trey will cut to the basket and come around another. Like there are so there's so many different things that Trey is doing this preseason that we've wanted to see for him from a while. Uh, we wanted to see from him for a while, and I think we'll see Trey have the ball in his hands less. I think we'll see more more efficiency because of that. And maybe cut down on the turnovers. But the one thing, the one thing I don't want to see from Snyder and from this team as a whole is uh, we're going to run a lot of five out and and a lot of a lot of off ball actions, obviously. But I don't want to go completely away from the pick and roll because Trey is a generational yes. playmaker in terms of the pick and roll. We can't just cut that out of our offense. So the way we get into the pick and roll, I think, is what Snyder's is great is uh, like you said, a basketball savant. You hit hiding. Hiding what actions we're running to get Trey in the best position to have so many options to score or play make. And that's what I think we're going to see from Trey this season. That's another great point that you make because I feel like people overcomplicate things, right? Like people think, oh, we now have to spend the entire game running Trey Young off the ball. But what's maximized the Hawks is when Trey has the ball in his hands. Normally, when mm -hmm. Trey has the ball in his hands, that is a top 10 offense, arguably like one of the better offenses of like the past 10 years when Trey has yeah. the ball in his hands. It, it's kind of crazy because what he's able to produce in the high pick and roll is really predicated on his speed, his burst, and his passing ability. Like how many times I've seen Trey fake a floater that's really a oop or fake a shot and kick back to hash or three. It has that potential, but the issue is when you spam pick and roll over and over and over, like you said, you get predictable. Teams know exactly what to expect, and your offense doesn't max out. What I want to see from the Hawks more this year is the ball movement, because when the ball is just swinging over and over and over and over and over, you're getting great quality looks. Jalen Johnson having seven assists as a big is proof that the offense is moving around. When you have offense that, that just has ball movement it's great and i think you still do the pick and roll obviously because when it comes down to closing our games sure you might know it's coming but that's our best play so beat it right but having other things to go to for the full 48 minutes of the game matters in maximizing that to me yeah uh, that that's a great that's a great point the other thing other thing i think we'll see a lot of from the offense is shooting more threes 
uh, just as a whole. We know we know Snyder. We know Snyder liked to run a lot of Spain pick and roll when he was in Utah. But a lot of those guys, you know, you had you had Bogdanovich, you had you had Mitchell, um, and with Gobert, Bogdan. I can't remember how many times I've seen Donovan Mitchell and Bogdanovich shoot shoot a three when they were with the Jazz. When Rudy Gobert set that screen and they run Spain pick and roll, it resulted in a three a ton of times. And Snyder has really emphasized in the preseason. You know, we're going to shoot more threes. Hunter in his media day was like, you know, Quinn has wanted me to shoot a lot of threes, and I asked him. How does he balance his mid-range game and and his three-point shot? His three-point shot. He said, "You know, Quinn knows my game. He's not going to take um, my three-point shot, of, my mid-range away from me. But on, all in all, I just got to be more confident. Get more, get more shots up in volume, and the three-pointers will come. So I think that's going to be a huge difference we'll see from the Hawks on offense. We shoot a lot of threes. We've got up over 40, I think, in each preseason game this year. Um, we haven't necessarily shot it well, but this year, Trey Dejounte." Uh, Garrison Matthews, Patty Mills, Wesley Matthews, Kobe Bufkin's been a great shooter so far. Bogdanovich, AJ Griffin, Sadiq Bay. I just named nine Many shooters. Many nine shooters. all above average shooters. If you count, you know, Dejounte was uh, it's sensational last year in terms of if you just want to look at that category of shooting. So that's just nine above average three point shooters, and should be for Trey. Nine above average three point shooters um, that I just averaged when we and when we shot a lot of three pointers last year. In the game because that's how teams played us we often lost because we just didn't have those shooters to do that now we do and it's matching the player personnel which i think is a huge thing for this year and see that right there is what makes this next part of our conversation hard right because the nba is at a point where there's talent on every team obviously the west is just bonkers there's like it's like 12 <laughs> playoff teams in the west only eight can make it in the eastern conference not so much but i'm struggling to see what the landscape looks like because i think the argument for the hawks is we finished 41 and 41 last year we had a new coaching hire midway it was the first year we had Dejounte murray and it wasn't under the new head coach that we have now and we traded for better shooters sadiq bay i'll never forget this when you guys played the miami heat and it was the kyle lowry show Sadiq Bey was bullying Bam in the paint, which was wild. I'm like, wow, yeah, how is this, crazy. right? And like that Hawks team was looking crazy. And I'm like, damn, like they just blew the doors off the Heat in a must-win game for the Heat to try to make the playoffs. And now they might not make it and they barely beat the Bulls. And, 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 funny, and, and funny enough, that team goes from the play into the finals. But like, that's what we're talking about. So, so now I'm looking at it like, okay, they lose John Collins, yes. The help side at times, yes, even though I personally believe he was still inconsistent in spots defensively beyond that. But I still think yeah, this roster as a whole should be better than last year. And it's like when you go through it, it's like, okay, the Celtics, the Bucks, the Cavs, the Hawks. Uh, people, like I've been in arguments with people about the Hawks, the Magic, and the Pacers. Like, 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 these are three different teams. People bring up the Magic because of the length and the size and the new coaching and how competitive they were. But I feel like the Hawks are a team that they made the playoffs. And it was such a weird anomaly season. Like, I I feel like the Hawks are going to be a playoffs team this year. I do. I do. I do, too. I My expectations for the Hawks, I mean, you, you, you're you going to, if you look at the Eastern Conference, like you were saying, you know, you got the Bucks and the Celtics. I mean, like, come on. Bucks yeah. and Celtics one two. No matter how you could flip them, I I don't care. One and two. After that, you know you could maybe put Philly, but what's going to happen with Harden? What do they get we back? Don't know. 
you don't know. So then you look at then you look next. You know, okay, the Cavs, they they introduced a, a problem in the offseason by getting Struess um, with the shooting because they got exposed for that in the Knicks series. Yep. Um, but after that, the Hawks, the Hawks and the Cavs, I think we're right there. The Heat, yes, the Heat made it to the finals last season. But in my opinion, they had the worst offseason had anybody in the league. They lost Struess. They lost Vincent. They didn't get Dame. Kyle Lowry's older. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler in the regular season. Like we don't know. So for me, I think the Hawks are right there at, in between four and five. Okay. Uh, I think I think that's that's where we are. And it was, at media day, there were two people that gave concrete expectations for this team. Obviously, you know the GM is going to say, you know, I expect this team to give a lot of heart and you know that stuff. GM talk. Yeah. But Dejounte right. Murray said, playoff. Pl- uh, sorry, play-in is not an option. We need to be a top four seed this year. And Clint Capella said, if we want to get where we need to be, we need to be a top 10 defensive team. Those were those were the two concrete expectations we got. So my opinion, if we can be that top 10 defensive team, I think we are the four or five seed. Obviously, I think the four right. the, the four would be better with the home court advantage. But I think after, the, after Philly, because we don't know what's going on, I think the Hawks and the Cavs are going to be battling for that four and five seed this year. And then maybe you got the Knicks six. Because in my opinion... I know, I know the Knicks had a good season last year, but if you look at the talent on on paper on the on the rosters, the Hawks yeah. are more talented than the Knicks. They played better than the Hawks. They, they did last year, but I think that you know Trey, Jalen Johnson, how he's done, Akongwu, what he's done in the preseason, we're seeing leaps from guys that people who are down on the Hawks in the fan base are even switching up, saying, "Oh wow, I didn't expect this." Right. So I think a lot of people are gonna are gonna see that Jalen, Akangu, these young guys are, are, are coming. So I think we'll be four or five that range that See, when the season's over. That, that's why I think this is such an interesting conversation for me, right? Because how I'm looking at it, right? So the Cavs last year were a dot, like <laughs> by the numbers, the net rating, like they, they were such a dominant regular season yeah. team and they got exposed for in the playoffs, sure. But I feel like a lot of that was because they'd never answered who's our three because our backcourt plays limited defense if any at all and then our front court makes up for it but they're very limited offensive players and they couldn't get a rebound to save their life because Mitchell Robinson was dogging them the entire series yeah. and Donovan Mitchell uh got outplayed by Jalen Brunson right that's what happened the Knicks specifically are a very interesting team because for whatever reason they had like a top five offense from like January on and it was literally Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, tough shot making, and they were just just killing people in isolation. And their I'll defense, yeah, right, right, like and their right, and their defense kept up. And then they added Dante, who who as a Warriors fan, Dante was a good player for mm-hmm. us. Sometimes he wasn't aggressive in terms of looking at the basket enough. But on, on the Knicks team, it it just feels like they they have the talent and the weapons to also be in the four to five conversation i feel like with the hawks the thing is on paper offensively this should be a better team than the knicks and the Cavs. i think you can argue that but the issue is defensively where are they going to fall out you know i think the Cavs for sure are a lot to be a better defensive team probably another top three Mm -hmm. defensive team again but their offense i mean is the shooting going to be enough to bridge the gap are we seeing a jump from a a, a garland and mitchell as a backcourt i think you are but i think it's open for conversation i think it's between those three teams in terms of how that pans out i just don't see any scenario where this hawks team doesn't make the playoffs considering they're going to be better than last year and last year they were mid 
literally 41 and 41 is the definition to mid, right? Yeah, there's and that's that's good because I mean I've seen a lot obviously I've seen a lot of fans saying, oh, objectively, you know, John Collins is a better player than Jalen Johnson. Objectively, you know, we lost him. But I don't think and and I don't want to make it sound like I'm hating on John Collins I'm because I love Collins. I'm, you know <laughs> I loved what he I loved what he did here. You know, even Landry Fields said at media day he had nothing but praise for John Collins. You know, an important yeah. part of this move of what what we've done the past six years starting power forward. But um, Jalen Johnson, the versatility he provides, the switchability he provides, and once he gets that three ball down, if he's showing the confidence to take it, I think he becomes a better player than John Collins with that. That's that's yeah. that's the only thing and there i don't think a lot of people have seen what he can do the way the role he's gonna have and i know i know a lot of people know okongwu but i don't think they know how, how well he's been shooting the three recently so he could if he could stretch the floor with trey we he's a game um, we can surround five shooters with trey if okongwu bay aj griffin uh Dejounte, and trey are on the floor and, and what happened it's not just five shooters by the way the defense with the shooting Yes, Akangwu and yeah. Akangwu and Johnson and Dejounte. But what happened the last time we surrounded a ton of shooters with Trey? We made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdanovich, um, who Lou Williams was playing significant minutes in 2021 for us. So I'm not going to say we're going to make we're going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I'm just saying, and we have veterans like Wesley Matthews now, Garrison Matthews. Uh, obviously here, Patty Mills. We've got guys with championship experience on our team now. We didn't have any of that last year. I think that's a big part. Uh, so we're we're slowly coming into these organizational tendencies where it's good. Uh, it's 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 um, going in the up compared to last year when there was a lot of toxicity in the organization, a lot of dysfunction. I think yeah. between the front office and and the guys guys on the court. So you brought up toxicity, and since we've gone over twenty twenty four expectations. I have to ask you this question as a long-term question for the Hawks because um, it was a, a question that was in the media from last year. Is Trey Young the guy for this Hawks team in the next four to five years, or do you think he gets traded from the, from the Atlanta Hawks? Because last year there were talks about they might try to shop Trey Young, this and that. We know how good he is. Me, me personally, I think he's good. But I think if he's to win as a number one option, the roster construction has to be a good blend around him. And I think it's easier to like ship him off as a number two. But I got to get your perspective on it as a, a person that watches these games, understanding what Trey does at, at the elite level and what he doesn't do so well. What are your thoughts on that? So for me, I think Trey has a chance to do what a lot of what a lot of players don't have the opportunity to do. He has the opportunity to become the best player of this of this franchise in Atlanta, um, you, you have you know with the St. Louis Hawks, Bob Pettit, Lou Hudson, Hall of Famers. I'm not going to discredit those guys, but in Atlanta and the Dominique's obviously a Hall of Famer too. But you didn't would he didn't have a chip here, and I think Trey has the opportunity if he can if we can uh, win a chip here to be the best player of this franchise has ever seen in Atlanta. So that makes me think that the organization wants to try to win a championship with Trey Young as number one. I I, th I think, and the DeJounte move, the way we moved about that so quickly, some some people say too quickly, which there's an argument for both sides. I'm not going to die on a hill saying the DeJounte move was terrible or the DeJounte right. move was, uh, was a godsend. I'm not going to say that because there's definitely an argument for both sides. But 
I think I think the organization will try and win a tray win a championship with Trey as a number one option. Now, can they do it? It's a different story. The roster building last year from this year, it's night and day. I see I see a lot of progression coming from coming from this year, um, and I expect the team to be better. I'm expecting close to 50 wins. You know, like four, probably 49, 50 wins is 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 what I'm gonna say. Just because the way Quinn Snyder has his team playing right now, the defense in the preseason has actually been insane. It's, it's been like yeah. It and you know it's it's preseason, so are the guys gonna play with the effort in the regular season? You'd think that would translate from preseason to regular season on the defensive end because defense is mostly effort. We know we know it's mostly effort. So hopefully that translates. But if if it does, I think I think the organization's not gonna trade Trey, and and if they do, the 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 haul that we get for him would have to be just so would have to be just so incredible because. I don't. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's very easy to draft a talent like Trey. You know, um, Sean, Sean from uh, with the W always says like, you know, you, the Hawks. We we found we did the toughest job finding a number one or number two depending on what you we look at. We found it in the draft. Now it's the roster construction. So I don't think yep. the organization wants to take a step back from that, saying, oh, we got to find another like generational talent in the pick and roll that Trey is. To, to build around so that's why and atlanta i gotta say this is not the biggest free agent um free free agent destination so when you have a guy like trey i think you need to do everything in your power to try to keep him here to win with him whether that uh ultimately is when he's a number two or number one yeah i think the way that atlanta is going about it with trey young i understand because it's so easy on paper to say trey should go okay well then if you don't find another player his caliber then you're stuck being like a pretty bad team and you're not winning and then you're trying to like draft another talent and make that work somehow and maybe there's an argument that with the talent that could be coming up in, in 28 and 29 maybe but with currently the roster you have getting a new head coach i hope that even if they don't see success they try to commit to the vision with their head coach because trey can't keep going through coach after coach after no. coach after coach to be a good team, you have to like lose, but you also have to understand continuity. And it feels like this year, on paper, the Hawks didn't do anything too crazy, and that's important because you can't make these trades where you give up three unprotecteds and you get back DeJounte Murray, but you don't try to commit to making the roster construction work for the next three years. You gotta commit to a bill, stick with it, and if it doesn't work out, at least you've exhausted all of your means to try to make it work. Yeah, there, and you mentioned the Murray trade. There, there are a lot of fans who, and uh, some in the Hawks fan base that ultimately think Trey and Dejounte won't work. Like we won't win a championship mm -hmm. with Trey and Dejounte on this team. But I think those fans have to realize, and I think the whole NBA fan uh, fan base has to realize the what the way Dejounte extended the the way that he signed that extension of four years, hundred twenty. I mean, that is that was. Honestly, the best thing that's happened for us this offseason, because you mentioned the three unprotected, that is a lot to give up. And if he would have walked, I mean, the organization would be would be in a bad would be it in a bad. bad way. It would have been bad, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but the way he signed that extension, he could have easily got probably close to forty million a year if he got an unrestricted free agency. And when he signed that extension, no matter how you look at Dejounte, even if you don't like him as a Hawks fan, or you do. That contract, that extension he signed is just so good for flexibility for the organization. Right. Shows loyalty, shows he wants to be here. And a lot of people were saying, you know, Brad Roland of Locked on Hawks 
ultimately reported that you know talks are leaning towards he's going to go into free agency. They're not close on an extension when they first when they first got here, mm-hmm. and when he signed that extension, and obviously he had a change of heart. But there was that that was such a huge thing for this organization to know. Okay, we have solid foundation with Trey and Dejounte. Now we can focus on Okongwu and Bay, who are set to be free agents, and then kind of building around this young core that we have: Jalen, Okongwu, Bay, AJ Griffin. Yep. Um, Kobe Bufkins look good this preseason so far. I like far. Bufkin a lot. Yeah. So I think I think that Dejounte extension. I don't think it could be overstated. I think it was just huge for this organization. I think this is a good point because regardless if you're high on him or not, what we objectively know is the cap is going up. Yep. pretty much by 10 percent every year a contract where you're making 120 might sound bad but that's really 30 60 90 120 and then when you're looking at it it's like you know it's not as 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 bad considering when the cap goes up players making 30 million is going to be like the new 25 or the new 20 right like it's not going to be as dramatic and the point is if you're going to trade three unprotected picks for a asset you have to, at the very least, keep the asset and yep. try to make it work. I'm so sick and tired of teams trading three unprotecteds. Oh, it didn't work after the first year. Trade everybody. No, you you have to commit to the vision that you did when you traded those picks. Because that is the bed that you laid for yourself, right? You got to lie in mm-hmm. it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's like I said at the beginning of the show, it's been a while since the Hawks have made a trade of that caliber. To get right. an all-star the previous year. So, especially when you do that and we get two-star players. You know, the, the league has the Hawks down as having two-star players, you know, by that rest policy. We have two-star players. So, if you look at it objectively like that, you know, you, you've got to maintain, got to find a way to keep those guys there. Because as a free agent destination, we haven't been able to sign a lot of those stars. And when you find a talent like Trey through the draft, you need to be able to keep that core and see what they can do, especially... I think the number one reason is under this new uh, Quinn Snyder regime. Yeah. The last question I want to ask you is on DeJounte Murray from this perspective, right? So initially, when I made my video on the Hawks trading forum, I was highlighting the pros and the cons, right? And one pro that I said was, okay, Trey finally has someone who can man the offense when Trey isn't on the court. And contrary to popular belief, I believe, the numbers when Trey Young was off the floor for DeJounte and weren't that great last season. What do you think DeJounte can do this year to make their potential stagger better this year? That's a great question. Um, yeah, the offense the offense was it was still good when DeJounte was on the floor, but it, it wasn't at its maximum. I mean, when, it was night and day when Trey was off the floor yeah. or on the floor as far as the offense goes. But for DeJounte, I think the biggest thing, you know, we run a lot of pick and roll, obviously, but both of them run the pick and roll so differently. Trey goes around the screen and he has a burst. He doesn't really, you know, he'll burst through the screen, but sometimes he'll stay, he'll stay near the 349 extended area, you know, trying to get the defender on his back. Gotta get that foul call, obviously, like like a lot of people know. But DeJounte a lot of times likes to survey right as he gets around the screen. I think the biggest thing for DeJounte is getting getting attacking that basket last year he said a lot for mid-rangers and that might be nate mcmillan you know wanting to take a lot of those but i think a lot of criticism from last year was that dejounte didn't get to the basket enough we didn't put enough pressure on the rim outside of trey and dejounte has been doing that this preseason so i think the biggest thing that dejounte could do to kind of 
maintain yeah, obviously it won't be at the same level that Trey is because Trey is right. miles ahead of DeJounte just offensively. But the biggest thing he can do is just put more pressure on the rim. Because we now have, like I said, those nine shooters um to, to spread around the floor. The more pressure he can put on the rim, the more three-point shots we're gonna look, the more Quinn Snyder's gonna like that. And DeJounte can get to the foul line more where he's a good free throw shooter. So I think the biggest thing for him is just getting to the basket more and being more aggressive uh on those screens. Because he's a lot of times in this preseason, even he comes around the screen, and if he's running the side pick and roll with a strong with a guy in the strong side corner, uh, he'll take a wide dribble, and then he'll kind of try to split the double team, but he'll turn the ball over. And if he takes that burst of speed right when he gets around the screen, that that help can't make a decision. Do I show? Do do um do, do I help in? Do I just leave him? And I think that's the biggest thing for DeJounte. So bursting off that screen, getting to the basket with more downhill action is what I want to see from him in 2024. Hey, great answer, Mikey. I feel like I needed to ask that because that was something I always had a question about when they made the trade and also midseason. Again, I will be watching more Hawks basketball this year. For me, I'm going like hard this year, obviously on the content side, but I'm literally creating a spreadsheet. I'm telling every podcast guest, Honestly, the people who make it this far are probably tired of me saying this, but I want to speak it into existence. I'm creating a spreadsheet where I'm going to manually track how many games I watch of every team in the league. Okay, so when I'm inside of a Twitter space and they say, gifted, how many games of this team did you watch? I'm going to say, hang on, pull up the spreadsheet. I'm going to look at the number. I'm going to say I watched 30 on the dot. That's, you know, to be honest, because... I tried to watch like four to five games at a time, and that can't, such a you focus. You can't analyze the game. You can't no, do, just can't do it. No, I just can't. So, so now I'm literally like, I'm gonna watch one or two games at the same time. I'm gonna like start to take notes on things at certain times in the season. Obviously, teams are gonna go on like hot streaks and cold streaks, you know, clearly. But I'm definitely gonna be committing to watching more Hawks basketball. For me personally. I I think Trey Young is out to have a revenge season because a lot of people are really playing with his name in terms of like how good of a player that he is. Even though I'm not super high on Trey Young in comparison to some uh, other guards, I still think he's a very elite talent. He's one of the best passers that I've ever seen. And I think that the respect on his name in terms of his play and all that should be restored for this season. So I'm excited to watch Hawks basketball, man. Yeah, I hope I hope that's the case because you know not making the USA team, not making the All Star team last year. That's what I'm saying, I mean, he had a rough, and, had a rough, and my and the Miami series. I mean, lately, just the way the na- national media has viewed Trey's just been very down. I mean, people are quick to forget this is a guy who averaged 31 and nine in his first playoff run, and and in his third year in the league, 31 yeah. and nine against against good defensive teams in the Knicks that year, the 76ers who put Ben Simmons on him. And the Bucks who had Drew Holiday. Yeah. So that I mean, we know Trey can do it on the big stage. We've seen it. But can but can 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 we get there again? Because like I said, it's not it's not great getting some play in and not having home court advantage. But this roster feels like and Trey and with Trey's attitude, what he said over the course of this summer at Media Day, his you know, he's been very championship focused. You know, somebody asked him in Media Day, he was like, you know, what what do you gotta do to get you back on that all star team this year? And he's like Ultimately, man, that's not my goal. I mean, we're here to win a championship, and yeah. he's like playing with a chip on his shoulder this year. He's just that. So, so there's been there, there's a lot of talk about about Trey Young, 
and hopefully hopefully he'll answer to it because they're the hawks this year feel like we've got to move we've got to take a step in the right direction otherwise next year we could see we could see some some big changes because three three years of playing with a guy like trey young that's how you start to lose faith yeah. in, in your star player or that's how your faith that's how your star player starts to lose faith in your organization with three yeah. playing periods. yeah well hey Great analysis from Mikey again. I'm happy that we actually sat down. I don't think we ever like sat down for this long specific. No, it's it's, it's never been this long. Yeah, dope, <laughs> dope. Well, yeah, I'm awesome. happy. I'm happy for that. I, I definitely want to get you back on here at some point during th the season to evaluate how sure. the Hawks are playing. I appreciate your knowledge and all that. Again, hopefully, I did a good enough job because again, I haven't watched that many Hawks games, but I like to be honest about it. You know what I'm saying? So. I'm going to try to correct that more in this upcoming season. But, Mikey, I appreciate you. Please let the people know everything you do and where they can find you. Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, you can find me. I mean, you search my name, Mikey Kubrinsky. Um, but um, my Twitter handle is at Pinwizard300. So you can follow me there on Twitter. Like I said in the beginning of the show, um, Hawks Fan TV, I do recaps for them for the games. And as well as writing for Back Sports Page, which is a feature article website where I'm going to be writing articles maybe, you know, three or four a month on what how the Hawks are doing, some tendencies, just not individual recaps, but just some overarching uh, angles that I'll, that I'll try and write throughout the season. Also, I'm the host of Georgia Sports Nation, a Hawk, uh, podcast where we talk about the Hawks. We talk about the Braves as well. Uh, but so if you're into any Hawks and Braves, make sure to uh, follow Recapping Hawks Hoops on YouTube. Subscribe to it. Uh, that's where the podcast is shown. But Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Gifted. It's always great to talk hoops with you, for sure. Looking Absolutely. forward to the season. Absolutely, man. I have all of his links in the description and comment section below. Let me know what you guys think of the 2024 Atlanta Hawks and what your thoughts are. If you made it this far, appreciate y'all. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, all things of that nature. And also, five stars on the audio platforms. We got three five-star ratings. Let's get it to four. That would be phenomenal for me. I like that. But appreciate you guys. The NBA season starts very, very soon. I think by the time this comes out, it might be like six or seven or five more days left. I'm not sure when. I, I literally did three podcasts in a row today in one session, which is crazy. But we're here on the grind. Um, happy to see basketball is back finally, Mikey, as always. But have a good one, people. I'll catch you guys in the next episode of Get the Hoops. Peace out, people. Peace.